Welcome back to After the Buzzer Sports Talk, and I'm your host, Aiden Mayer. Alright guys, welcome back for another episode. Just going to be me today. I really apologize for no episode uh, this whole weekend, Saturday or Sunday. Um, I just had a very, very busy weekend. Uh, as I told you guys, school's coming to a close. Today is Monday night um, and Tuesday. Tomorrow's my last day of school, so hopefully that uh, opens up some more time for me and we should have less lapses like that. I mean, I try to do one every day. It's just tough because I have a lot of other things going on. I mean, that's a lot to ask, so it's going to happen. But I'm back today, and in today's episode, we'll be talking about Game 6 of the Stanley Cup Finals, kind of look at a little bit of Game 7, what happened in that Game 6. Then we are going to go over the Raptors versus Warriors series. I'm not going to go over Game 4 because you guys already know the scoop that happened what was that, Friday night, and it's Monday, so you don't need that, and plus, by the time you're probably listening to this, uh, Game five's probably already happened, so I'm just going to kind of talk a little bit about that, and then I want to get to the um, possible trade that the Celtics could have made. I'm sure people knew about this because it was a report that the Celtics had traded Jalen Brown for Kawhi Leonard, and that was in the talks uh, back a year ago, but um, no, then it, everyone kind of forgot about it, and then Chris Mannix, um, on his podcast, brought it up and confirmed that this news was true. And then we're going to go over the Red Sox series against the Rays. So, yeah, a lot to get to today. So, first, we're going to start with Game 6 of the Stanley Cup Finals. So, let's get to that. All right, so last night, the Boston Bruins, my Boston Bruins, forcing a Game 7 in St. Louis, winning 5-1 to against the Blues. But I'll tell you, that game was closer than 5-1. to Okay? That game was closer than 5-1. to uh, the first goal came from Marchand uh, on the five-on-three. But before that, you're, they were peppering Rask. They had the early power play, you know, three minutes in. And those first ten minutes, I thought the Blues pretty much controlled. And that scared me, okay? I thought going into that game, the Bruins were going to win because the NHL was going to give them the benefit of the doubt because the NHL was going to want a game seven. It was going to be a bit of compensation for the bad call on Nola Chari last game. And I thought you were going to get most of the calls. You didn't. The calls were on the Blues' favor. So I think the NHL wanted a game seven, but they want the Blues to win. Okay, you know the NHL has some sort of say and tells the ref which team to favor a little on the calls. You know that. But last night was a great, well-fought game for the Bruins. Rask stood on his head last night, 28 saves on 29 shots. Uh, He stood on his head. They were some really good saves. I mean, there was that one where he pins it against his back for a second, you know, goes off his body off the post. McAvoy definitely helped in... Yeah, I think McAvoy hitting that, you know, at first it seems like one of the best saves you've ever seen. And then McAvoy, you realize he hit it and, you know, it's still a great save. But Rask, I thought last night was awesome. I thought defensively you had some lapses, but overall you've done better. Your defense has struggled, but it's done better. Like last night I thought Carlo was great. He had your goal. It was a bit of a lucky bounce, but he had a goal. I thought McAvoy and Chara really stepped up a little too. But the person, what happened to Tori Krug? Krug, we're talking about if there besides Sukaras, he may be your best player. And ever since I'd say around yeah, game three, because he scored in game three. Game four, five, six, 
worst Tory Krug Ben. I really haven't haven't seen that impact that I saw in those first three games. And even before that in the playoffs, he was one of your best players. He had the big hit in game one. He's scoring goals, like, in the third game. And ever since, he's just gone dead silent. You know, and it's crazy. That's just kind of how it how it works. Uh, but the Bruins' forecheck was better. Uh, the forecheck, the Blues' forecheck has been way better this whole series, okay? It has. Um, De- and it was created by DeBrusque forecheck. Uh, Rooney, who's the ref, uh, yeah. Um, it kind of got a fortunate bounce off of him. And there was a fortunate skip on Carlos Shot. It just took a skip off the ice. It was a tough save for Bennington. But that was created by the forecheck of DeBrusque. Your second goal was created by your forecheck. Finally, your forecheck does something, uh, which was great, great to see. And overall, those first two periods were well fought by both teams. Like, honestly, those first two periods, I say, were pretty even. Like, who won? I, I don't know. Who won those first two periods? The one thing with the Blues, though, missed opportunities. They missed a lot of shots. Okay, and Rast made some great saves, but they missed a lot of shots last night. And overall, the Bruins kind of skated them out of the building. And this has led me to realize someone said, maybe play back as Game 7, switch it up a little. No. No, 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 no. I'm actually keeping... um, Carson Kuhlman in. And not because Kuhlman scored a goal, okay? That was a great goal by Carson Kuhlman. Great pass from Krejci. Well, not really. It wasn't a great pass, but it was a good decision. Great shot. It was a snipe, but not because of that goal. Carson Kuhlman, I'm not going into Game 7 saying, well, he's going to score you a goal, but because the speed. The more and more I've thought about it, as much as the Bruins have to keep up with the Blues' physicality, if the Blue, if the Bruins get out-hit by, like, 10 or 12, you know, like, the Blues have, like, 10 or 12 more hits than the Bruins, that's fine. That's perfectly fine. Because this Bruins team can get back up after a hit and not let it affect them. You know, the physicality, the Blues are always going to be the hammer. You're always going to be the nail. Physicality-wise, you're never going to be more physical than them. They're always going to be the hammer. You're going to be the nail. No matter how much physical hockey you want to play, they, they're they just going to – nothing you can do about it. They're the hammer. You're the nail. I'm sorry. I, I don't know what to say. But that being said, you can outskate them. And with Carson Kuhlman, he brings that speed. David Backus doesn't. He brings the physicality. I don't need physicality. Okay? And plus, I think it's too late to put Backus in there now for Game 7. No. He's sitting on the bench. I'm putting Carson Kuhlman in. I think we try to skate them out of the building, okay? That's the strategy I'm using. Do what you did in game six. You need the speed, okay? You need the speed. The physicality, you're not going to be more physical than them. And I said try to keep up with their physicality. More and more, think about if you get out hit by 10 or 12 hits, it's not a huge big deal because the Bruins, as long as they can skate them out of the uh, arena, rink, whatever you want to say, and and kind of – um skate them out of the arena, and just keep up and get up from the hits, I mean. I already said skate them out of the arena, but that's it. They're going to have – they're going to be more physical, but you're going to have the speed. And overall, Rask, though, if he can play like he did last night, you, you're you going to be all right. But game seven, I, I, I knew it was not going to be the last game. I said I, I have good confidence. I wasn't guaranteeing a win, but – I basically was in a way. I just did not see them losing last night. I saw a game seven. But for the Blues side of things, what happened? I thought they played almost as good as the Bruins besides that third period. First two periods, they were even with the Bruins. 
Bennington overall didn't implode last night. His his series implosion was game three. Okay, that was the game he imploded. Last night he wasn't great. That was the thing. I said he'll implode for a game and maybe have a game or two where he's not great. Last night he's not great. Overall, if I had to say, was he good or bad? You can't just say he's eh. He was bad. He was not great last night, but he made some all right stops. And overall, his defense was just, it wasn't there. You had the first goal by Martian was an incredible, it was a five on three. It was a five on three, the first goal. The second goal was literally a fortunate bounce by Carlo. Not, not still might have, should have probably made the save, but don't get me wrong here. That was an unfortunate bounce. The pucks shouldn't take that type of bounce. And then the third goal was the Kuhlman goal, which is an absolute snipe. I'm sorry, from a guy like that, you don't expect that. That was just, that was that was incredible. And then the fourth goal was the Posternock goal, which he bit. He bit. That one was, and then the fifth goal was the empty and by Chara. Overall, last night, some of those goals, he has some sort of excuse. A five on three a fortunate bounce. The second goal was very fortunate, but overall, Carlos still played well on the defensive end. Overall, he's got to he's gotta be better. He's got to be better than that. But here's the thing that scares me. Bennington in bounce-back games facing elimination. Those two things combined. If he's just against elimination, he's great, or he's coming off a bad game, he's great. Okay, or after a loss. You know, he, he bounces back very, very well. And when he, the pressure's on and, you know, he just had a bad game or the team just lost or he's up against elimination, that's when Biddington's playing the best. He's off of a not-so-great game, a team loss, and he's up against elimination. All three. Which you tell, that's a lot of pressure, but this is when Biddington performs his best. I think it's really going to come down to Rasky Biddington, and I'm not sure because it's right now it looks like you know, I, I take Rask over Bennington just on a general basis, but the way the, the statistics tell me that Bennington overall plays so good in these games. This is meant for him. Rask has the experience, but these are the bin- games Bennington fl- thrives in. Uh, excuse me. But the Bruins just have to keep cycling the puck. Um, out, skate them out of the building. Put pucks on net. And Vrask has got to step up like he did last night. I don't know what really to say with, with those ty- types of things, you know. Um, and the first line came alive last night. You had the Marshan goal, great pass by Pasternak, given it was a five on three. And then you had the Pasternak goal, great pass by Marshan. Uh, not great, but it was a good pass. So Bergeron, though, you had the speech. So what did this mean? Bergeron, I think, is in pain. I think Bergeron is in pain. This postseason, I think it's this postseason or this series. Yes, I think it's this postseason. Bergeron has a plus-minus of minus four. The biggest plus-minus on the team, the worst plus-minus on the team, is Pasternak at minus five. That just shows that the first line has not been good, and Bergeron has not been great either. Bergeron had six shots on net last night. Six, which no one really expected. Didn't seem like he had a ton of shots. I knew he had a few, but Marsha and Pasternak were really working well. And also, things I want to point out, Sean Corrali played more minutes than Patrice Bergeron. He only played 16 minutes. Six of those on the penalty kill, because you were on that a lot. Corrali had more minutes. That last Pasternak goal, Corrali was the center. 
on that line. It wasn't Bergeron. There's something wrong with Bergeron. There's some sort of injury that he's not telling us about, and I think that was what the speech was. The guys know there's something wrong with Bergeron, yet he's still stepping up and, you know, saying these words of motivation. And that's kind of what why it got to the guys, because not only was it a good speech, but it's coming from this guy that's hurt. You know, Bergeron, one of their best players, he's hurt, and he's just playing through it. And I think that's why those words meant so much. And I think that was also a little bit of a cover-up because he said, if I can just act like a good leader, I know my skill. I'm not going to go out there and play a very good game. I'm hurt. But if I can just be a good leader for the team, that's as much as I can do. But I hope he's got one more in the tank as well. Because if he can go out and at least play average, slightly over that, like if he, at least if he can put a point on the board for you, and you know, whether that's a good pass or a good shot, whether he's scoring or you know he's dishing one out to Marchand or Pasternak, I'll take it. If Bergeron plays an average game, slightly over average game, and gives you an assist or a goal, I am happy because all that's all I want. And that leadership, a speech like that again would be great. Uh, but that's all I want from Bergeron. I can't expect too much. I know he's banged up. I know he is. It, it's clear to tell. Um. Because that's really all I have to say about last night's game. Also, the Blues, you got under their skin. Uh, that's the one more thing I want to get to. You could tell you got under their skin. The end of the game, um, Robert Bortuzzo, you know, cross-checking uh, Achari. I'm pretty sure it was Achari at the end of the game. I just kind of forget because at that point in the game, it's kind of over. But 17 seconds left, he's cross-checking Achari, gets thrown out of the game. Does the little wink. Like, why are you doing that? Why, why are you making matters worse? You're down 5-1. to one. It's not like you got destroyed in this game. Really, you didn't. It was the third period that killed you. But it wasn't like you got destroyed in this game. But you lost. Look at the score. It's still 5-1. to one. And you could tell he got under their skin. He's kind of just trying to be cocky and play down, you know, play the 5-1 to one lead down. I don't know what he was thinking there, to be honest. Um, but I don't know. Maybe it got in the Blues' head a little bit last night, I think. It got under their skin, you know, the Bruins played a good game, because they still played well, but, you know, the Bruins just kind of cracked it open. They were probably frustrated. They knew in that arena was the Stanley Cup. They knew in front of all these fans, they were in St. Louis, and this is something that doesn't happen a lot in St. Louis or for that Blues franchise. They knew it was right there for the taking. They knew they were right there. They were close to winning it. They could have done it in front of all the St. Louis fans, and that would have been great for them, but it didn't happen. So that's tough, but they, they I don't know. Now they got to take it in Boston on the road, and they've been a good road team. So we'll see how it plays out. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly with your only goal, he's been great. I said going into the series, he's red hot. And he started the series off with the uh, goal in the first game. Game two and three cooled down, but ever since game four, he's, he's chugged along, kind of started where he left off from like game six of the Western Conference Finals in game one. Took a you know a game or two off, and then all of a sudden he's back at it, and he's been great for that Blues team. So you got to kind of try to slow him down a little bit as well. And David Perron, uh, five shots on net. So you know we'll see how Game Seven goes. Uh, I'm definitely excited to see. But now we are going to talk a little Raptors versus Warriors. So let's get to that. All right. So yeah, I told you I'm not going over Game Four. You guys already know what happened in Game Four. The Raptors won. I said, dubs, dubs, dubs. It's going to tie it up 2-2. Two to two. KD's going to come back. But KD is back 
four, game five, and the Dubs are winning tonight. I know I have been Warriors, 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 and saying, Aiden, when are you going to pick the Raptors? When are you? And I'll admit, I picked the Warriors to win game one, but since the Raptors won game one, I picked the Warriors to win game two. And overall, I did say the Raptors would win one of those games. Did I not? I said they would win one of those two games, but since I picked the Warriors to win game one and the Raptors won, I had to pick the Warriors to win game two. But then I picked them to win game three and the Raptors won, so I said, yeah, they're going to win game four. But they're winning game five tonight. Uh, I just don't see them losing in five. I'm sorry. I think KD back is the big thing. If KD's not back, I may pick the Raptors. May, may have. Going into the series, I thought you know, it would be dubs in six. It's obviously not going to happen, but the Raptors were going to win games two and five. But they're not winning tonight, okay? They're not. They are not winning tonight, I think. The Raptors definitely could win this series, you know, but I'll give you, you know, I'm still sticking out with the dubs here, and it's just because it's my prediction. I know the Raptors will probably win, but we'll talk after tomorrow because the Warriors are winning tonight. I know they are. I, you know, I, I honestly I can't guarantee it, but here's why: the return of KD is going to be crucial. Whether he puts up ten points in twenty minutes or puts up thirty points, I don't care. If he puts up ten points in twenty minutes, he's going to make a crucial impact to the game. And here's why: first of all, ten points. The Warriors will take ten points from Kevin Durant because honestly, they need a little scoring help for Curry. They need Curry to be the aggressor tonight. Curry has to be the main guy. He has to be the go-to guy for scoring. He has to be the guy to do the scoring. He has to be the bucket getter tonight. You can't rely on a KD because he's not 100%. He's just not. I expect a solid night from KD. I think he could end up having a solid game, actually, here. I think he will score over 10 points. Okay, I, I do. I do believe he will score over 10 points. But KD, even if he puts up... 10 points in only 20 minutes, he's going to space the floor for you. He's a guy who's going to go out there, and he's going to be a threat. The Raptors are going to have to game plan for him. The Raptors have not seen KD so far this series, so it's going to be an adjustment. And it's going to intimidate them a little. They're up 3-1, you know. I feel like there's going to be a little pressure there, like we're up 3-1, you know. And, you know, you've heard all the 3-1 stuff so far. And then you hear KD's coming back. That has to intimidate some of these guys a little, a few of them, at least a little bit. And you have to game plan for that, which is something they haven't had to do before. And he's going to space the floor for them. He's going to space the floor, and it's going to, you know, give a little, you know, sigh of relief, and it's going to put a little pressure off Curry, Clay, Draymond, Boogie, all of these guys. There's going to be a little less pressure on them, okay? But Curry still has to be the aggressor. You know, Thompson still got to step up for you. All these guys, you can't rely on KD tonight. You can't. You can't rely on KD tonight. But no, I think the Warriors, they're going to come out firing. I think they, they're going to, you know, st- they're going to have a good game from three. I do feel. Because with uh, KD uh, as that extra guy that's kind of spaced the floor, I think, you know, the Warriors are such a good three point shooting team. I think this is going to be a little different for the Raptors, and the Warriors are going to come out firing and absolutely on. They're gonna they're gonna be good tonight, especially and the three ball is gonna really help. I do I do believe that. Um, again, I'm I'm not sure uh, what they're going with for the starting lineup. I do believe um, Demarcus Cousins is gonna come off the bench, which I love. 
I do believe it's Iggy, and, but again, I'm not 100% positive on that. I do believe that's what I heard. Uh, your starting five is small ball with Curry, Clay, Iggy, KD, and Draymond. That's what I heard. I'm not 100% positive. That's what I heard. And then Boogie's coming off the bench, which is great, because DeMarcus Cousins has struggled, and although that is a small ball lineup, Boogie's better with the bench. He's not. He doesn't gel well with that um, starting unit. So we'll see how the game goes again. I, I do expect Kawhi to come out and have a good game. I think Marcus Gasol will step up from his disappointing nine-point performance. But I'm, I'm, intrigued, I'm intrigued to uh, see what happens. I do think the Warriors are winning. Uh, and if I don't say it for the whole game, I don't expect to wake up and hear that the Raptors won. If they if they do, you guys can rip on me, honestly. I just I believe the Warriors, they're not losing in five. I've stuck with the Warriors, and you know what? We make wrong predictions. We do at times. I'll admit it. It's going to happen. I'm going to make some bad predictions. And if me saying the Warriors in six, I'm a strong believer of that, and they lose in five games to the Raptors, bad prediction, yeah. It was a bad prediction. A lot of people predicted the Warriors to win in six games. It wasn't only me, and I stuck with my prediction. I could definitely see them coming back from 3-1, though, but we'll definitely talk more about this uh, tomorrow when the Warriors win. I know. I, I It's not like I want to see the Warriors win. I don't. I want to see the Raptors win, but God, <laughs> I want my prediction to be right. So now we're going to get to the uh, Jalen Brown for Kawhi Leonard trade that could have happened and my thoughts on it, so let's get to that. So, although this is not breaking news to anyone, this is not breaking news. If you've followed the NBA for over a year now, this isn't breaking news that the Celtics almost traded Jalen Brown for Kawhi Leonard. It's not breaking news, but it's news that people forgot about. And news that people weren't exactly sure was exactly true. But we got the insure. We we got that. Uh, Chris Mannix uh, told us on the crossover his podcast um, that this 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 trade was true. The trade reports were true, and it turns out Jalen Brown would be the centerpiece of the deal, and it would include at least Jalen Brown, maybe Marcus Smart as well. Marcus Smart could have been part of the deal as well, um, or. Jalen Brown and, like, some picks, maybe one of your uh, first-round picks this year, which would be great. I'd rather, much rather give up one of my first-round picks this year than Marcus Smart. Because I don't think we need all three of those first-round picks, to be honest. I don't think. I'd, I'm cool with two, okay? I love this draft class. I think it's deep, but not that deep, okay? I think it's pretty deep, but it's not that deep. And honestly, I don't think we need all three draft picks. If we gave up like the 21st pick, like at the t- like right now it's the 21st pick. It's the 22nd. Um but we you know one of those later first round picks in Jalen Brown. I think that was enough to get the deal then. You're probably saying Aiden. That's crazy. No way. You know, a mid to late first round pick in Jalen Brown for one of the best players in the game. But you have to remember at the time Kawhi Leonard wasn't one of the top players in the game. Seemed like a one-year rental, and at the time, Jalen Brown's uh, trade stock was way higher. So you have to remember, Jalen Brown's value is way higher, Kawhi Leonard's value is way lower. 
at the time. So you have to remember that. Now it kind of seems crazy. I still love Jalen Brown. I think he'll be the right player. I do. Once Kyrie's gone, let Jalen Brown play his game. And as good as a three-point shooter, I like that you developed his three-point shot, but you got to let him attack the hole. He's the most athletic player on your team. Brad Stevens plays a system where kick it out for three. He's too scared to drive to the hole. So let Jalen Brown do that. He was a great defender. You just got to get him to lock in. And he's became a good three-point shooter, but his game is driving to the hoop. He's athletic. That's his game. You turn him into a good three-point shooter, but let him drive to the hoop more, and he'll really succeed. And I think with Kyrie gone as well, um, and he's not a great teammate, but Kyrie or you know Jalen, you're like, who are you talking about, Kyrie or Jalen Brown? It can be either one. They're both bad teammates. But listen, this they have to regret this. Um, and here's what um, – Chris Mannix said from Sports Illustrated on this podcast, the crossover, as I've said a few times now, my understanding from kind from kind of both sides is that is it involved Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart, or Jalen Brown at least. Jalen Brown is the centerpiece of it all, Mannix said. They didn't do it in part because I don't think they wanted to tie themselves to two players that are going to be unrestricted free agents this summer. They had no idea what Kyrie was going to do, but think about what the Celtics would be with Kawhi and Kyrie on that team. The kind of force they would be on both ends of the floor. Now, that's very true. And I do think they should regret this trade. Oh, yes, definitely. Because if the Celtics pulled the trigger on this, you still have Jason Tatum. You still have a a lot of picks. You still have, you know, you got guys like Robert Williams who could turn into something, at least. And you might still have Marcus Smart. So you you got options. And the thing is, you do that now, you have Kyrie and Kawhi. And I know Kyrie wants his own team. But I think, you know, I don't think that would be a fantastic fit. But I think you get at least one of the two to stay. Definitely. I do think, you know, at least Kyrie. You know, because Kyrie now all of a sudden, you're you're getting a, you know, a veteran enough player in Kawhi Leonard, a player that understands the game, and getting rid of a bad young teammate in Jalen Brown. And your team's probably better from that trade at the time. So I think that would at least lure Kyrie to stay, which then maybe makes you move Jason Tatum for Anthony Davis. You know, And that's not a bad move at that point because now all of a sudden Kyrie's committed full term, long-term to your team, so that maybe intrigues Anthony Davis. Like, that wouldn't be so bad, Boston. They're a good team historically good franchise, big market, and one of my good buds, Kyrie, is on that team. He's committed long-term. So, you know what? Maybe, you know, that that sort of stuff happens. That would change a lot. And maybe, who knows, maybe Kawhi decides to stay too, and you can move Tatum and maybe some picks for Anthony Davis. Now the thing is you have the Gordon Hayward contract, but you, you maybe you send that in the deal too and, and just say, you know what, we'll give you Tatum, Hayward, you know, we'll give you a few extra things just to make up for the Hayward contract. But, you know, I'm just saying possibilities here. I'm not saying you then you get Anthony Davis and you have this big three. I'm not saying because the odds of that happening actually aren't great because, you know, Kyrie and Kawhi. And it makes sense. Both two unrestricted free agents because let's say they both leave. You don't win a championship. They both leave. Now you're left with Al Horford, Jason Tatum. You know, at the time, I think they were assuming a solid Gordon Hayward you know, Terry Rozier, like, you're not left with a whole lot. You're kind of left with, you know, a good veteran piece, you know, good young piece, but you're, you're kind of left with, a, you know, more 
pocket change. You know, you had ten dollars and now you're kind of left with two and a half in a way. It, you know, you would you'd be left with a little bit here and there, but not not as much. So I kind of get why they were a little scared to make this move, but overall they have to regret it. At the time, I was a little skeptical of it as well. I won't lie, but. They definitely have to regret this move. There's no doubt about it. And they've got to move on now, and we we, we got to build through the future. We're not trading for Anthony Davis. Please don't do that. But anyway, now we are going to get to the Red Sox series versus the Tampa Bay Rays, so let's get to that. All right, so I'm not going to go too in-depth on these games here because I think you already know the inside scoop, so I don't want to, you know, just sit here and, you know, rant off eight and eight, and I get it, I get it, I get it. You know, we already know what happened. So, all I need to say is pretty kind of disappointing series for the Sox. Uh, the Rays took three out of four. You had the doubleheader Saturday. Glad you took one. I just expected, you know, I, I wanted you to at least tie that series. You know, at least tie it and, you know, keep tides even. And you, know, you have a lot of catching up to do, so... Now you put yourself farther. That was a big opportunity. And again, you're proving my point. You can't really play very well against these hard teams. You had the stretch where you faced the Astros, the Indians, the, um, what's their face, the Yankees, and you struggle. And then right after that, you face the Royals and sweep the series. And now you're facing the Rays and losing three out of four. So it's just kind of proving to me that no matter how hard you play, these teams are kind of outplaying you. Which is sad to say from the you know defending champs, but listen, that that was just a little disappointing because now all of a sudden you're sitting in the standings, seven games behind both the Yankees and the Rays. The Yankees and the Rays are both tied for first place at forty and twenty four. You're thirty four and thirty two. This is it's starting to become must win baseball in early June. You know, you know we're not even halfway through the year. We're a little over a third. Uh, you know, we're well over a third, but not not well, but you know, we're closing in on the halfway mark already. So you need to really start catching up. I'm sorry, maybe I set the bar a little too high for this team going into that Astros Indians Yankee stretch where I said I wanted them to, you know, actually get closer to first place. They were like five games behind. I wanted them to be like two and a half games. But maybe I set the bar a little too high against these tough teams, but they can do it. They're the defending champs without Craig Kimbrell, basically, which I know is a big loss. It might cost you a few games here and there, but, you know, you lost your closer. You know, the hitting hasn't been really as good. And all these types of things, these things just haven't gelled. So all of a sudden now I'm looking at this Rangers series and kind of calling it must-win baseball because it's an easy team. I want You need to start beating these hard teams because you can't just go out and beat the Blue Jays, beat the Rays, and expect to make the playoffs. You have to beat these hard teams. I'm sorry. You have to do it. You're not going to make the playoffs. You're not going to do anything if you can't beat good baseball teams. That's what the playoffs are all about. The best teams make it. And if you're not going to beat the best teams in regular season, you're not going to go to the playoffs, and maybe if you squeak into the playoffs, you're not going to do anything. So, you know, I'm wasting my time if they make the playoffs and they're going to play like these, this against these harder teams. Now, all of a sudden, you need to win tonight. Tonight is a must-win against the Rangers. hate to say it. I, I, maybe a must-win's a bit of an over-exaggeration, but you're facing the Rangers. The Rangers are horrible, but yet they're 34-30 and 30 with a better record than you, and you need to jump them in the wild card race and get closer to first place in your division, especially with Chris 
sail on the mound. He's going to mow him down tonight. You know he will. Like he does every night. And you can't hit for him. Hit. Get a few runs. This is the one night where you have good pitching to back you up. And you still can't take advantage of that. Okay? Chris Sale, uh, you know, and Mike Miner is on the mound for them tonight. And I'm not really sure how he's going to do. He's been good this season. But I'm not how, I'm not exactly sold on Mike Miner. He used to be solid. Um, and overall, it's not like he's he's bad, but he's always been a solid pitcher. He's good this year, so it's going to be a duel tonight. But Chris Sale's better than Mike Miner. He, Mike Miner's solid. He's had a good year this year. But Chris Sale is better. And I know it's going to be a pretty low-scoring game tonight. I know it will, but you need to support him with a few runs. And Bennett, I, I think it's uh, Betts leading off tonight. Uh, I want to see some production from that leadoff spot. I almost said Ben Intendi because it's usually him. Some production from the leadoff spot. Overall, support Chris Sale and I. If I come back tomorrow and you lost, oh, I'm not going to be happy. So that's all I have for you guys today. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed. Um, again, calling on the Anchor mobile app. Um, type in after the other sports talk. Send in a voice message. So, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed, and I'll see you next time. Thank you.